Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Quick update from the college football world of all places as we have a college basketball question of the day. Jeff wants in from Chapel Hill on his Wake Forest Demon Deacons who beat Carolina last night in Winston-Salem. Others on victorious NC State, one of the pack's best wins of the season, certainly in the eyes of the selection committee, 79-74 Wolfpack over Syracuse. The four best wins for the pack this year, you can put them in whatever order you want. At UVA, quad one win. At Syracuse, quad one win. At UNC Greensboro is a quad one win because West Miller and the Spartans are a top 75 team, as are those other two victims in the net rankings. Home against Wisconsin is a quad two win for the Wolfpack because the pack, the Badgers are not in the top 30. They're so close to it, though, they might get to the top 30. That would make the pack four and two in quad one games, and that is exactly where you want to be. Why? Because what is the caliber of opponent in the NCAA tournament for the most part? Midsection to upper of what college basketball has to offer in a given year. Duke is 4-1 and one in quad one games. NC State at 3-2. and two. Keep rooting for the Badgers again. Maybe it becomes 4-2 and two in quad one games. That's not the only part of your resume, as Jerry Palm reminded us, but it is a very important part of the resume because it reflects how you did against the better teams in the most difficult environments, home, road, or neutral site. 1-800-849-2761. Again, only Louisville, Louisville and Florida State, two of the other elite ACC teams, are only 3-3 three and three in quad one games. Nobody's great in their hardest games. Duke's 4-1 and one is the best. State's 3-2 and two is next best. Cardinals and Seminoles next best, at least among the 15 ACC teams at 3-3. Three and three. Question of the day for College Hoops fans. Kyle Bush joins us live in about 10 minutes. What is the highest realistic goal you have for your favorite college basketball team right now? Jeff is in Chapel Hill. I told you the Tar Heels have a very, very low bar. Get back to just playing unselfishly and playing together. You know, that letdown against Wake Forest last night only added to the embarrassment. The Deeks have something to celebrate right now, but it's certainly a low bar overall as Danny Manning appears headed for his fifth losing season in his six years in charge of the Demon Deacons. Jeff, welcome to the David Glenn Show. Go right ahead. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. Sure. Although it's a good day to be a Deacon basketball fan, it's been a horrible last 10 years to be a Deacon basketball fan. Uh, my realistic goal for the basketball program is to give Danny Manning his walking papers. Um, you know, we got to find a coach, and I think Danny Manning's probably a good guy, and he's probably a great uh, position coach, assistant coach, but he's not an ACC caliber head coach. And he doesn't have the special qualities that are necessary at Wake Forest to run a, um, a successful program. We need to get back to finding some kind of jewel uh, like Coach Prosser was, a guy that can motivate, a guy that kids want to play for, a guy that brings nothing but positive energy day in and day out with the program. Uh, people will remember when Prosser coached, we weren't great defensively. But we were great offensively. Yeah. We would just outscore you. And that's what kids want to do. They want to run and gun. They want to score 80, 90, 100 points a game. And if you can excite kids with that type of basketball, you can get some kids that want to come to your school and play for you if you excite them. Right? If you don't excite them, they're not going to stay. We've seen a barrage of kids over the last 10 years transfer, leave early. And what that tells you is, 
They're not motivated to stay and play for the coach. They're ready to get out of there as quickly as they can because there's nothing about who they're playing for or the success level that they're having that makes them want to stay. And it, for those and for a crosser type guy. For those who don't know, and obviously as Danny Manning has told us, attrition is at a higher level than ever in college basketball. He is correct when he says that. But Jeff in Chapel Hill is also correct when he says, listen, even though there are more transfers than ever, even though there are more early professional basketball exits than ever before, that is true. It is hitting the Deacons particularly hard. So it's one thing to say this is a plague across college basketball, and yes, that is true. It is it has reached kind of crazy proportions in the Wake Forest basketball program. And for those who don't remember some of these names, you know, Dinos Mitiglou was a good ACC caliber basketball player. And midway through his time at Wake Forest, he just decided to up and turn pro over in Europe, where he is originally from. More recently, remember that good point guard they had, Bryant Crawford. The NBA certainly wasn't beating down Bryant Crawford's door. But Brian Crawford decided to leave after his junior year for the pros. It's one thing to leave knowing you're going to become a multimillionaire or knowing you're projected as a lottery pick. What the weird part about the Wake story is, you know, Jalen Horde turned pro after his freshman year last year and wasn't even really a serious consideration to be selected in either round of the NBA draft. So... You can't say that because one guy leaves early, you know, maybe his family needed the money. That's not necessarily an anti-head coach thing. But when it happens enough times and it's Bryant Crawford leaving early and Doral Moore leaving early, again, even though the NBA is not beating his door down. And prior to that, it was Dinos Mitiglo leaving early, even though he was not an NBA guy. When you have the usual transfers and the usual early exits, nobody cared if John Collins left early. He was going to be an NBA draft pick, lottery pick. That's understandable. That's actually the sign of a healthy program, right? That level of attrition makes it, makes it really hard to build. And, for example, this year, Brandon Childress is a senior, arguably their best player. Uh, maybe not the best stats, but they ask him to do so many things. As a senior point guard, I think he's their best player. He outplayed Cole Anthony last night. Guys like Sean D. Brown, who's a junior, and a pro prospect, Olivier Saar, their big fella from France, also a pro prospect. He's a seven-footer. He's a pretty efficient big man. If those two guys, rather than being anchors as seniors for next year's Wake team, for whatever reason also choose to leave early, even though the NBA is not beating their door down, well, then it starts to get tricky again. And the, the, the uh, scrutiny goes back to Danny Manning. Big win over the Tar Heels last night. I didn't expect that kind of a call today, but I would have expected that kind of call from a Wake fan most other days in this season where the Deacons, remember, fall or, or are 11-13, and 4-10 and 10 in conference play and likely headed again to their fifth losing season in the six years of the Danny Manning tenure. In, well, a year ago, the enormous size of his buyout helped give him more time. The, the athletic director transition from Ron Wellman to John Curry was another complication maybe factored in to Danny Manning getting more time. If it proves to be a fifth, fifth losing season in six years, remember the buyout number decreases every year. So it might still be a tough pill to swallow. Nobody wants to pay a coach millions of dollars to stop coaching. you got to come up with millions more for the new head coach and his staff, right? Nobody likes that part of it financially. But at some point, it becomes financially riskier 
to keep a guy if attendance is down and apathy has set in. The season's not over yet. I mean, who knows? Maybe the Deeks could make a run to a winning record. That is unlikely at 11-13 and 13, given their remaining schedule. But we'll see. And, of course, we're going to revisit this conversation in all likelihood about a month or so from now. Kyle Busch was last year's Cup Series champion. He was also the winner in 2015. That, of course, is NASCAR's greatest honor. He is headed to the Daytona 500. That is about the only event he has not won in his illustrious career as a driver nowadays for Joe Gibbs Racing. Is it his NASCAR bucket list item? Is there anything else he hasn't scratched off? Probably not. He was recently at the Super Bowl with his family. He recently visited Universal Orlando with his wife, Samantha, and his young son, Brexton, where I think they checked out the Transformers, among other things. He is the Cup Series champion. He is on his way to the Daytona 500. He is with Joe Gibbs Racing. Kyle Busch, live next on The David Glenn Show. The David Glenn Show, where the great guests have so much fun, they never want to leave. I'll come give you a pep talk before your next show if you need me to. We could use that from you, Webb Simpson, anytime. Hey, I'll be your intern after this. There's anything open, man. We'll take Joe Harris as an intern every day <laughs> and twice on Sunday. Listen weekdays to The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Our next guest is one of the most successful drivers, really, in modern NASCAR history. He's only 34 years old. He's a two-time Cup Series champion, including last year. He's on his way to the Daytona 500. He was recently at the Super Bowl, and even more recently, I think, at Universal Orlando with his wife, Samantha, and their young son, Brexton. We're speaking of Kyle Busch. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show, man. How are you? I'm doing really well, man. How are you? We're doing well. Excited to see you try to win one of the only things you have not won, the Daytona 500 on Sunday. More on that in a minute. How were the Transformers? I've been to Universal Orlando, uh, but it's been a while since I've had a little kid. I heard Brexton was all fired up about the Transformers. Oh, yeah, he was. That was the first thing he wanted to see. So we made sure we made our way right over there to the Transformers ride and uh, got to check out Optimus Prime and got to check out Bumblebee, got our picture taken with those guys. So uh, it was really, really fun. We had a great time at the park overall. And uh, thanks to Comcast Xfinity and, and uh, Universal for setting all that up for us to give us a great experience, to, to give him one that he'll never forget. It was a lot of fun. How does that work for you, Kyle? Because probably when you were like 19 years old, only some people would recognize you. Uh, all this far into an illustrious career, I imagine a lot of people recognize you. Did you get a normal visit to such a special place, or, or were there a lot of people around, you know, asking for selfies and autographs? Uh, there was a couple of those. You know, it wasn't too terrible. You kind of expect that with the territory yeah. and, and people having the same off days that you do. So we, we saw a couple and got asked for a couple, but uh, nothing too terrible. So all in all, good experience. Brexton had a lot of fun. Mom had fun. I had fun. So we, we had a good time. You've been living this cool life even beyond racing. I saw photos of you with, among others, Dr. Oz, Guy Fieri uh, at Super Bowl 54. Like, How long was that red carpet style list? for you what'd you think of the game plus the rest of that experience uh, it's fun you know i get a, a great chance to go around anytime that i'm at the super bowl and um this year we had an opportunity um at the maximum party to sponsor the event with my new energy drink rowdy energy and uh we had fun over there we got to meet some cool cats over there uh odell beckham was there and cool. uh, a few other football guys and then of course um we got to be at 
the um, Wheels Up Super Bowl party. Guy Fieri was there, and um, uh, Mike. Mike, uh, he's on Fox Sports. I can't remember his last name right now. Uh, I'm trying to think. Yeah, we saw Strahan. We saw okay, Strahan, uh, yeah. And a few other guys that were there at the Wheels Up party. And then, of course, later on, like you said, we were at uh, the Fanatics party with Michael Rubin. Um, Post Malone was there, as well as Dr. Oz was there. So we, 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 we got our chance to meet up with a few, few celebrities and um, had a good chance to talk some NASCAR and tell everybody that Daytona 500 is coming up, and uh, they're all going to be tuning in this week, hopefully cheering us on. Amen. He is Kyle Busch on Twitter. He's at Kyle Busch. He drives, of course, the number 18 M&M's Toyota Camry for Joe Gibbs Racing. Joe, of course, just went into the NASCAR Hall of Fame. You mentioned the rowdy energy drink. I have heard that you got to kind of order that. You guys are still working through your distribution type stuff. Is it a dumb question to ask, given that you have a lot of nicknames? Rowdy has been one of them. Is that kind of paying homage to the Rowdy character from the Days of Thunder movie, or am I getting too far out of whack? No, that's that's where it all started. You know, years ago, um, I was racing in a truck race. My truck was black. It was number 51. I said, hell, man, that looks pretty familiar. Let's put a rowdy on the roof, you know. And so uh, it's just kind of been there. And I was also known to be a little rowdy and create a little chaos and be a little disturbing at times as well, too. So, you know, we figured we'd uh, we'd keep that, that, uh, that nickname going, and, and here we are. We've got Rowdy Energy now uh, out out uh, to market, I would say. It's not RowdyEnergy.com is the only place people can get it okay. right now. So if you place an order of $50 or more, it's free shipping. But, uh, yes, you're right. We're working on our distribution and trying to get it out to uh, to stores and channels in that way. We've had good talks with a few of those across the country right now, so hopefully we can have some more future announcements coming up shortly. Check out the Rowdy Energy drink. Kyle didn't even ask us to promote that, but if you go to his Twitter handle, he actually describes why it is different than a lot of the energy drinks out there including the ingredients, et cetera. I mentioned we all know you've driven for Joe Gibbs Racing here lately. Uh, he did go into the NASCAR Hall of Fame, what, less than two weeks ago. I know this is probably a longer answer that you could put into a book, but how do you give a short version of what Joe Gibbs has meant to you as a person or as a young driver? Yeah, he's been phenomenal. You know, ever since I was able to sit down with him the first time, I laid it all out there, and he knew who I was already as I had created a little bit of chaos before that. But, um, <laughs> you know, he wanted to hear it from my vantage point. And so we just had a really good connection. You know, I would say he's kind of like um, – you know, a, a father-type figure to me, grandfather-type figure to me, I guess. And, um, you know, we've just had that good relationship where we always say what we mean and mean what we say. And, um, you know, he's been there with me through thick and thin. He's obviously helped me and guided me through a lot of uh, decisions in my life and things that I've done and, and also supported me on the racetrack as well as off. So, um, you know, we have the utmost respect for one another, feel really good for where we're at, where we're at and what we're doing and what we're accomplishing right now with um, he's got the best team, I feel like, in the business, and I feel like I'm the best driver in the business, so it's, it's a good mix right now. You're, of course, headed to the Daytona 500. I used to live in Florida, so I've been there several times. If you were advising, let's just say, a race fan out there who does not have you know, unlimited resources, and maybe they could only get to one big uh, event, one big road trip, is it automatically the Daytona 500? I mean, I imagine that's got to be on the short list, even if you gave them two or three ideas. 
Yeah, I would say Daytona is for sure on on the list of cool venues you got to check out. They just redid the whole grandstand area and the whole midway area and stuff a couple years ago. So everything is super nice and first class here. Um, there's a great experience back there. And then, of course, um, you know, being able to sit in the grandstands, the seats are well spaced and everything's real nice and comfortable for the fans. And so it gives you a really good perspective. You get to check out the whole racetrack from about any seat in the house. And, um, you know, you can really see the 500-mile the race go right down in front of you so it's pretty awesome uh, i've i've been up there before for a 500 miler it's been a few years since i've done that since i've been in the cars lately um but it's a lot of fun to uh to check out as a race fan and be down here for the whole week and take in the experience and really enjoy what um what the event puts on with the camping and the infield and um you know the the friendships that that people come down here they make i mean they're not neighbors and they come and be neighbors at the racetrack they're from different parts of the country and they're neighbors here in daytona I have read that whereas you say you're not going to define yourself by whether or not you win a Daytona 500 given all the other things that you have accomplished, I honestly couldn't think, Kyle, of anything else you have not done. Like, is there anything on the list for you at 34 years old besides a Daytona 500 that, that would be, you know, sort of un, un, uh, unaccomplished territory? Uh, the only other thing that I can think of is just the um, the Charlotte Roval road course race. Yeah. That's it. You know, every other place I've won at, every other track I've won at, I've won at three different layouts of, of Bristol. I've won at, um, you know, the two different layouts that we've had at Phoenix. I've uh, I've won at Atlanta, um, you know, Ed, as much as I can think of anyways. I, I've won at about all of them. So it's pretty cool and fun to uh, to have all those accolades. But, you know, to, to win Daytona, that's that's right up there at the top of the list right now. No doubt about it. As we let you go and wish you well on Sunday, again, he's Kyle Busch at Kyle Busch on Twitter. How do you put that in perspective? I've, had, I've heard coaches say, listen, I love winning the Super Bowl or I love winning the NCAA title, but I didn't feel differently about myself as a human being and wouldn't have if I, if I never got that done i mean i i would say the same thing but that that maybe people the haters are going to take that as a cop-out right yeah so, right um you know to me though it, it's about perspective and and what i've been able to do in this sport i feel like i've done everything but but when the daytona 500 i look at my brother and and the only speedway race that he's ever won in nascar in 19 years of being here was the daytona 500 so, right um it's pretty cool that that he was able to do that to win this race um but it's his only speedway win i've won uh three i think three other speedway races if i'm not mistaken um maybe two i don't know uh but anyways you know it's it's just um they're so random these days that winning this race isn't quite what it was what it, what it used to be in the mid 80s and before when you know it was a lot about the car it was a lot about the driver it was a lot about the setup and it, it wasn't all just chance so i'm not making a cop out on it it's just i, I haven't quite it. had the luck that it takes to get in the right position at the right time it's funny kurt joined us right after winning the daytona 500 i know you can't make such a promise but we do wish you well and you thank we thank you for your time on the david glenn show today absolutely man appreciate it thank you, you got it on twitter at kyle bush Cup Series champion twice over, 2015 and 2019. He has accomplished virtually everything there is to accomplish in racing, except for, as he said, a couple things led by the Daytona 500. The Great American Race, as many call it, is back this Sunday at Daytona. He will be in the number 18 M&M's Toyota Camry for Joe Gibbs Racing. Some call him the Candy Man. That makes sense, given that he wears M&Ms all over his outfits and his car. But others have called him Rowdy. That's kind of how he drives. Remember Rowdy Gaines, the infamous bad guy from the Days of Thunder movie? He earned the Rowdy nickname long ago, and now he has his own Rowdy 
energy drink. I have not tried it myself, but it has gotten some good early reviews. He uh, caused a wreck this past weekend at Daytona with uh, Jerry, Joey Logano. Big wreck during the Bush Clash at the same venue this weekend. Really, some people make it a full speed week there at Daytona. I had never done that, but having lived in South Florida, it was an easy trip up the East Coast to Daytona, where really uh, it is one of the homes of NASCAR, one of the homes of motorsports in the, in the world, really. And probably along with Charlotte Motor Speedway, where I've been many times, I would say those have been the two highlights for me. I've never been to the Indy 500, for example, but uh, given Charlotte Motor Speedway right here in our backyard, that has been a huge part of my introduction to motorsports. I know a lot more about it now, and I've talked to all these top drivers, and Joe Gibbs has dropped by, and uh, Rick Hendrick has dropped by, some of the great team owners, some of the great drivers, of course. I know a lot more about NASCAR and motorsports right now than I did when I first moved to North Carolina in 1987 but Florida my time in South Florida it is also a big racing state so whereas it was about the Miami Dolphins and the NFL down there it was about the Miami Hurricanes because it was long enough to go where the Canes were in the midst of being a five-time national champion so there were all, uh, even spring training and other baseball is pretty big in Florida as I experienced that so a lot of football a lot of baseball uh, basketball as well but certainly NASCAR and motorsports more generally, a big part of the sports culture in Florida as well. Daytona, a, a fun city. Um, kind of like if you go to New Orleans during Mardi Gras, it's a very different experience than if you go to New Orleans during, I guess, almost any other week of the year. Going to Daytona, Florida, Daytona Beach, Florida, is very different if you go during Daytona 500 week compared to any of the other 51 weeks out of the year. I recommend trying both. But, for example, I love traveling to New Orleans. As an older guy, if I go back anytime soon, it probably will not be for Mardi Gras. As an older guy, if I went back to Daytona, I think I would want to experience the Daytona 500 week. Again, there's not, there's not as many reasons to go to Daytona unless the big race is happening, whereas there's a lot of really good reasons to go to New Orleans whether or not it's Mardi Gras, and frankly, uh, you can have more fun with less chaos and uh, lower risk, I would say, if you visited New Orleans without the complication of Mardi Gras. A little travel advice for you today here from the David Glenn Show. Eric Montross is our guest on the other side. I don't know if he's ever been a race car driver, but he was a heck of a big man for Dean Smith during his time with the North Carolina Tar Heels as a player. He is now an outstanding radio analyst for the Tar Heels Sports Network. The national champion from 1993, the two-time consensus All-American from the Tar Heels, is going to be with us on the other side. As Wolfpack over Syracuse, to me, is the highlight of the night from last night. And you could even say UVA's win over what had been a hot Notre Dame team in overtime, a big step for the Cavaliers' bid to make sure they're on the right side of the NCAA tournament bubble. It got lost in those headlines, perhaps, but it still mattered a lot to both schools. Wake Forest has not had a lot to cheer over this last decade, but they beat the rival Tar Heels in Winston-Salem, 74-57. to the Tar Heel side of that fence, of course, includes not only the misery of a 10-14 and 14 season, but there were some weird moments last night, bad body language. Cole Anthony got a little selfish at times, and his defenders will say, well, he doesn't have enough talent around him, 
Sometimes he has to get selfish. What about the body language? What about the team chemistry? What about the least gifted comment by Roy Williams on our show and elsewhere earlier this season? We'll tackle it all. College basketball with Eric Montross of the Tar Heel Sports Network next on the David Glenn Show. Jerome Robinson, are you a hugger or a handshake guy? H how does it work if Adam Silver is waiting for you? I really don't know. I, I hope it's not awkward. Um, <laughs> you know, I hope it's not like a hand to hug to hand kind of thing, but I don't know. I might just mess around and just hug him. No hands. I think he's so. a hugger. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. to the David Glenn Show. A last call for phone calls a little bit later this hour. We'll give you some TV picks as well as always. Our next guest typically joins us on college basketball, generally on Carolina basketball specifically. Feels like nine times out of ten it is dissecting or help, having him help us understand something really good that is happening with the Tar Heels. That's where they usually are, right? Even when he played for Dean Smith back in the day, he was part of a national title team in 1993. He was a two-time consensus All-American. He's now part of the Tar Heel Sports Network, calls the games with uh, Jones Angel, of course, as an analyst in Eric Montross's case. I, as I welcome you back, big fella, and I thank you for your time. Last time you were with us, we went off the beaten path and learned that you were a young ice hockey player whose feet got too big to find skates off the shelf, and the Toronto Maple Leafs later tried to find you the supersized pair, but you had kind of turned the page. Since Kyle Busch, NASCAR superstar, preceded you as our guest today, you're not going to surprise us with some kind of Brad Darty-style NASCAR <laughs> driver story, are you? No, I'm still too big to get into a NASCAR, so you're safe. You're safe in that realm. That's what I figured. But Darty's, hey, I don't. I've never seen the two of you stand next to each other. But you're two fantastic former UNC big men. How the heck does he do it? And have you ever even, you know, visited Charlotte Motor Speedway or jumped into that part of our state sports culture? You know, I have actually uh, had the had the pleasure of um, being at a couple of tracks. Uh, love Bristol. Have been uh, have been to a number of races over the years. I say a number, uh, probably five or six races over the years. Um, it is fun. It is fun. I've been lucky enough to uh, be invited inside the pits by a couple cool. of the teams and had an inside view of some of the goings ons and uh, and it is a really cool venue both as a spectator uh from the stands and a spectator from inside the pit area uh it, it's a lot of fun there is never a dull moment eric matras is joining us everybody knows to basketball of course uh that the tar heels are in an unusual place 10 and 14 3 and 10 after in the acc after losing at wake forest last night we understand that broader picture and i'll ask you a little bit about it but specific to last night there was some weird body language. Um, the team chemistry doesn't look right. I believe part of the phrase over there has been play hard, play smart, play together, you know, for decades dating back to Dean Smith. They didn't really look together last night. Um, what was your take as Cole Anthony, you know, went five for 19 from the field and had seven turnovers and only four assists? It, it just didn't look like Carolina basketball to me. What did it look like to you? Yeah, you know, somebody said to me today, they said, uh, they said, well, how did everything go? You know, obviously we had known we had lost. And they said, you know, I hope you had a good evening. And I said, a good evening? 
I said, I, I slept like a baby. I woke up every 30 minutes crying. Like, this, was, <laughs> this, is, this is not Carolina basketball. Um, and I think that it, that's been a hard part of it is, is that, uh, and of course this sounds uh, very much like noses in the air when I say this, but it is not something that Carolina fans, team, coaches, announcers that we are used to. Uh, nonetheless, it is part of the game of basketball, and it is a very real-life event for uh, Carolina's team this year. You know, yesterday evening uh, in Winston, um, Jones Angel, who I'm lucky enough to work with as a play-by-play for the Tar Heels, he said, uh, he said, you know, we, we look like we're just not fully engaged early on, and right. maybe was that a little bit of a slump as are you fully into it coming off the Duke game? And I've never been into that belief that there's a little bit of what people call the hangover from a game prior or looking ahead and so you're not fully vested in the game at hand but that first half really looked like that was the case Um, and I agree with you I think that there has been a significant challenge for this team to work as a unit of five uh, with Cole in the lineup and Cole is a very good player Cole has not been playing to the level that we, that he probably number one holds himself to, two that his coaches hold himself to, and three that that we as fans of the game and, and of his hold him to because of what we've seen. Now I think there are a couple reasons, and I think that number one, this team was on a different trajectory when he was out and healing uh, from his knee surgery. They were getting better. We saw better movement on offense. Yep. It was something that there was a dearth of for a long time, right, DG? There yeah. was, it was tough to watch. The team was stagnant. All of a sudden now they're starting to get better. Then he comes back and they start to ball watch a little bit. Uh, he maybe spends too much time dribbling the basketball, putting too much onus on him for offense initially. Then they start in the Duke game, everybody's aggressive again. Everybody's aggressive from every position. They're attacking the basket. They're making the defense move, even if it's not Cole Anthony. It's Justin Pierce. It's, it's, it's Christian Keeling. Um, you pick it's Andrew Playtech. You pick the player, but everybody's attacking. Last night, it looked like we were in that mode of, gosh, how much credit do we give to Wake, and how much do we look at ourselves and say, fellas, something, something, we got a loose, we got a loose lug nut. There are some famous examples from the past where chemistry was a question for the Tar Heels. You know, did the older guys accept way back in the day Jerry Stackhouse and Rasheed Wallace as young but also kind of fiery and and big personality guys? Uh, And what did they deserve? And what did the veteran guys deserve? And Carolina's not the only team that's ever faced such issues, obviously. But you've heard, you've seen this whole journey from folks questioning why does Cole Anthony even bother with college basketball after his knee scare? And then we learn all these stories. Hey, man, he supports his teammates. We can see him there on the bench. He's cheering these guys on while he was wearing that suit during his, you know, six-plus-week recovery period. What do you see being around them, at least some off the court, but also on the court? It, it seemed like everybody liked each other and trusted each other. Maybe this is more of an X and O issue than it is a personality issue. But can you sense any of that stuff, uh, given that uh, they've been together on the court again for a while and looked good at times, but they had to get to get used to each other as with a non-playing teammate for, what, uh, more than a month and a half? Yeah, very, very valid question, uh, DG. And I think that 
you know, when, when you look at this team, those kinds of questions, and you said the play hard, play smart, play together, that has been the line uh, that, you, that the Carolina basketball has lived by uh, for decades. Um, and this team right now has a lot of pieces that don't fully align to where you can say, gosh, it doesn't look like, I mean, it looks like for the most part they're playing hard, maybe not always. Coach had a problem with that last night, and I don't disagree, as we just talked about in the first half. Yeah. Um, playing smart doesn't always look like we're playing smart, and quite honestly doesn't always look like we're playing together because we're not always utilizing the five players on the court. However, I think it has less to do with the chemistry piece because I do agree, and I have talked to the coaches and talked to the players and watched them and travel with them and interact with them, that you know these guys are teammates, and they are supportive of one another. I think the bigger story, in my mind, is that there's a confidence issue. Yeah. And I think that when you get to teams that fail and, and teams that fail or lose often enough, then there, be, there becomes this expectation that is a little bit cliche in the world of sports, um, but you start to you start to play not to lose instead of playing to win, and I think that that's what we've started to see out of the Tar Heels. I mean, how you have a 13-point collapse at the end of the Duke game? Well, you start one thing after another, and then you start wondering: Is this going to happen again? Is yeah. it going to happen as it has in games past? That, to me, is the more systemic issue than anything else because I've seen what you've seen, which is the uh, demonstrative support that Cole has given to his players. I hear the coaches talking about he's a sponge. He's great he, as far as being coachable. He's a strong, powerful teammate. He's supporting his guys. I just don't think that the, that the translation has been real clean, and so I think that draws – all of us to wonder what is actually happening that we don't know because it is such a popular rivalry let me follow up on one thing you mentioned there with the the carolina loss to duke at the smith center uh i think everybody regard without your expertise even we can all look at free throws and say that's one of the reasons that a probable win became a loss in overtime to the rival blue devils what else was on your short list that went wrong when clearly with four minutes and change to go, the Tar Heels were not only winning that game, they were in command of that game. Well, they were, and so I'm glad you, you pointed out the four-minute-ish mark. It was, I think it was four minutes and 28 seconds on the clock, and Vernon Carey Jr., who's a wonderfully talented player, boy, he's fun to watch, yeah. um, uh, fouled out. And at that point, me and probably most of the contingent that was present in that arena thought that is a fantastic thing to have happen for Carolina. It will benefit the Tar Heels immensely to have him out of the game because he's really good. Right. <laughs> and what that did was that actually opened up the interior, took out a post presence because Duke is a four around one team when they are at their best. And all of a sudden, that interior was wide open, and Trey Jones, who's a very talented guard, of course, defensively and offensively, began to attack because nobody was there to stop him. And there was foul trouble on the perimeter for Carolina that they really could not risk having that body-to-body -body impact and chance having a foul called that they then get taken out of the game because 
we're thin. The lineup is really thin. All of that is to say, to me, at the 428 mark, Terry Jr. goes out with fouls, so he's fouled out of the game. That was the turning point. That's where what should have been a good momentum swing in Carolina's behalf actually turned into a very negative moment because the unintended consequence was now it opened up the lane and Carolina has struggled mightily, not just this season, but in seasons past with stopping the intense dribble drive from the top, regardless of whether it's Duke or Clemson or Louisville or you name the team. Eric Matras is joining us from the Tar Heel Sports Network. Pitt coach Jeff Capel joined us recently, and he both said, uh, A, Roy ain't lying with his least gifted comments that upset a lot of people. Jeff Capel's like, listen, People can have whatever opinion they want. They can talk about four-star recruits, whatever. I'm telling you as a basketball coach, Roy ain't lying. This is his least gifted team in Chapel Hill, so he went down that road. But he also said that he remembers as a former Duke player, he, I think he used the phrase, feeling the weight of the program when he was on one of those Duke teams that really struggled pretty badly. Uh, I I wonder, A, what do you see along those lines the best you can as kind of, you know, the armchair psychologist from courtside? Uh, but maybe more broadly, 10 years ago, Roy Williams missed an NCAA tournament while the head coach of the Tar Heels. Was there anything from that story 10 years ago where the Heels at least rallied, made the NIT, and finished with a winning record that you recall in terms of what Roy Williams may have in store in terms of his approach to the rest of this disappointing season? Well, again, all, all valid points and valid concerns, questions, and, and processes that we're trying to explore. I, you know, I find myself at a little bit of law, at a loss of trying to further explain, analyze, dissect this team because some of the things, quite honestly, are kind of head shakers, and that's and that's tough because you know, as a former student athlete here, but as someone who takes his professional responsibilities seriously. Uh, I struggle. I mean, I feel like I know the game, and yeah. I struggle to assign the real root cause as to what's going on. I do think that there is maybe I've never experienced it because I was on some very good teams yeah. here. I don't know what the weight of the program might be if you're in a losing if you're in a losing season and you're one of a very small handful of losing seasons that have that, that have been in the history of of, of Carolina basketball. So, so that may be real. I, I would actually try to de deflect that a little bit because I think at 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, yes, these are mature, smart kids, but I'm not sure that there's the gravity um, that they fully understand history yeah. to that level and are able to put all the things together that we are when we make that comment. Um, I think that, uh, you know, there have been a lot of teams that maybe don't have the marvelous talents of a Tyler Hansborough or a Raymond Felton or a Wayne Ellington or a Cam Johnson or a Luke May. Um, but there have been teams that have been able to pick up the slack when they've stumbled. There's always been one or two players who have been able to come through and make the point, create the steal, make the free throw, um, win the game, and thereby derail the lost column and get it back into the winning column. You know, somebody said to me the other day, they said confidence is a powerful drug. And I said, yeah, and, and lack of confidence is even more powerful. Yeah. And I think that right now what we're seeing is a combination of values, how much value you put on a stagnant offense or a lack of confidence or missing foul shots or just flat out not being able to make shots when you need to. 
or team chemistry, which again, I would, I would push that to the side because I really don't think that's the root issue. Um, but I do think that this team has to continue to find ways to grow. And if you look at it in very small slices, you can make the glass look kind of half empty yep. <laughs> or half full. Um, but you're always really searching for the silver lining, and that is a unique spot for Carolina basketball to be sitting in. Last thing for you, and I only have about a minute on this, the ACC tournament begins in Greensboro four weeks from yesterday. So that means Roy Williams still gets these guys in practice, uh, and, and who knows how much they can improve. But Cole Anthony plus the return of Brandon Robinson plus the distributor Leaky Black plus maybe a healthier version of Garrison Brooks, plus a still learning Armando Baycott, plus an improving Christian Keeling lately, plus Justin Pierce. You know, that's seven guys that at their best, I think would be as dangerous as two-thirds of the ACC. Now, if they're hurt or if they're not themselves, whatever, that's different. But uh, what do you think of just what they could be four weeks from yesterday as they're likely to end up in Tuesday of the ACC tournament? Well, if we continue to pull all the positives, and let's assume that there are no more setbacks, right. injury or what have you. Uh, if you if you put that group out there and you continue to glean positives and they start building from where they are, then I think that they're a viable team in that tournament. The problem you have is that you're starting to play on Tuesday and you got to get to Saturday. Right. I think with a short-handed lineup, you run out of steam. So I think that for Carolina is the is assuming that there are some positives that take place, then the endurance factor becomes their greatest challenge. Well put, man. Thanks, as always, for the time. Eric Montrose from the Tar Heel Sports Network will be knocking on your door again soon. Thank you, buddy. You got it. Final thoughts and TV picks as we come down the stretch next. Roy Williams, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Last year, two chains came walking by, and he reached his hand down and uh, shook my hand and said, two chains. And about five seconds after he walked away, I said, I missed a great opportunity. I should have said three rings. (laughs) Keep it here on the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. We are coming down the stretch on today's program. And down the stretch they come. Quick follow-up as we thank Eric Montross for dropping by from UNC. Kyle Busch, live NASCAR superstar on his way to the Daytona 500. Jerry Palm on bracketology from CBS Sports. Jordan Rodrigue covers the Panthers in the NFL for The Athletic Carolina. I have a bunch of posts up there myself right now. Also, accsports.com. Catch him if you can. The conversation with Eric about the ACC tournament reminder, the bottom four teams will end up playing Tuesday of the ACC tournament. So if you're stuck in the bottom four of the standings, you would have to win five games in five days to shock the world and get the automatic bid that goes to the NCAA tournament as the champion of the ACC tournament. At least if you finish higher in the standings, you don't have as many games that you need to win. Again, assuming you're going to somehow knock off Duke or Louisville or Florida State on the way to that title. TV picks tonight include the Hornets at Minnesota, other NBA, Bucks, Pacers, and Lakers Nuggets on ESPN. A little hockey, a little college basketball. Enjoy the games, and thanks for listening from the David Glenn Show. Mr. President, Barack Obama, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? David, it's great to be on. It's wonderful to to talk to the folks in North Carolina. I always say uh, 
I love the state of North Carolina. Love the people of North Carolina. Even the folks who don't support me down there are nice to me. The David Glenn Show.